Welcome to Dr. Carol's Couch with your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. All comments, views, and opinions are solely those of Dr. Lieberman, her guests, and callers. Now it's time to have a seat on Dr. Carol's Couch. Here's your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome to today's edition of Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Well, today I have a good news story for you. You know, I'm usually uh, ranting about something in the headlines. And um, there are, you know, these days, today, um, there are lots of bad headlines. Um, not even talking about uh, all the political um, division, divisiveness. But um, the shooting at the Poway Synagogue in California, um, a a plot in California of a man who had been in the armed forces and then came back and uh, plotted a whole, um, converted to Islam and became a terrorist, uh, or had and had his plans, his plots not been stopped, uh, we would have had an attack that he wanted to be bigger or as big as the one in Vegas. And I know we don't know for sure yet whether that had any, the Vegas attack had anything connect, connect, any connection to terrorism. But in terms of the grandeur of an attack, that's what this young man uh, had in mind. And, and so on, there's more, you know, just more hate-filled attacks. The, um, uh, the Notre Dame, um, if you look at a prior show that I did, I did a whole show on Notre Dame, and just all things happening in Sri Lanka, things happening all over the world. The world is uh, erupting in, in hate. So today's show is an anti-hate show, the antidote to hate. <laughs> and that is the story of my guest who, can, who proves that one person can do a lot. You know, there are a lot of people who just kind of look at the news or listen to the news and hear all of these, um, this gloom and doom and think, oh, the world is going to hell in a handbasket and there's nothing I can do about it. I'm just going to give up and stay home and watch television and, uh, and go to work and, you know, just try to keep out of trouble. Well, that's not, you know, if we all, I mean, yeah, it's great to keep out of trouble, but if we all just did that, uh, the world is going to keep going to hell in a handbasket. We each need to find something that we can do, and we can each do more than we think we can do, to make the world a better place. And that's what my guest, Gary Van Dyke, has done. And he has done it uh, first at great sacrifice, and then against great odds. So welcome to the show, Gary. Thank you, Dr. Carroll. I appreciate your invitation. Well, let's, um, I, I, ta- I said first a great sacrifice and then a great odds. So let's talk about the um, great sacrifice. First of all, give us just a little bit of information. You know, I'm a psychiatrist, so of course I want to know about your childhood. <laughs> um, give us a little bit about, you know, growing up and how you got into your original career in the entertainment industry. Well, I don't have any great stories to tell as far as growing up. I... I I was raised by a man that uh, later in life decided that he wanted to become a pastor. And so when my Uh father was 40 years old, he went to college and became a pastor. So I grew Uh up uh, in in the church and and always going to church and uh, 
of course, I was a preacher's kid, which meant that I uh, rebelled the first moment I could. <laughs> when I was younger, yeah. uh, when I was in my 20s, I, I, I didn't follow my father's path. I went on my own, and I decided um, uh, I decided later on in life that uh, I wanted to, uh, to find out more about what my father believed, and, uh, and as it turned out, I ended up believing like he does. But in the meantime, mm-hmm. I decided that uh, college was not for me. And so I went into the work labor pool before I went to college, and so I never, I never did get that college degree that uh, I that I encourage my own children and my own grandchildren to get. And uh, so I ended up taking what skills and talents I could find and making a career of them. I forced myself into a construction trade early on in life, and then I. Somebody said to me that you've got a voice for radio. Well, I never even thought mm-hmm. of that. And so I decided that I would enjoy that. So I, I volunteered at the local radio station, and they ended up uh, offering me a job. And for the next 25 or 30 years, I've been in radio and television. So I uh, enjoy the broadcast uh, field. I enjoy creating uh programs and I enjoy creating commercials and I have a voiceover I had I had a voiceover business and that's the reason why I was in television so I did a lot of commercials and things like that and enjoyed that quite a bit uh, I ended up uh, working for a nonprofit for a couple of years in helping them establish some uh, some standards and some things that they did in uh, in marketing and while I was with them I had an opportunity to go overseas and visit some of the projects that this nonprofit supported and I have never been overseas before and I've never been exposed to poverty or to anguish and so uh, I thought I had, you know, I thought I had seen poverty here in the U.S. It's, but poverty is one of those things that's relative. It's depending on mm-hmm. uh, what, what standard you use to compare them to. Well, when I was overseas, I had an opportunity to visit some children, and I saw poverty, Dr. Carroll, for the first time. I saw people that were truly suffering, that had no food, they had no water. They had uh, they had no clothing. As a matter of fact, the houses that I saw didn't even have a closet in them because there was no extra clothing to have. All they had mm. was just the clothes on their back. Uh, the the food that they had was beans. There was no beef. There was no meat because they couldn't afford it. Uh, places like Central African Republic. It takes an entire week's worth of wages, 40 hours of wages, just to buy one chicken. So hmm. that is the kind of poverty that I saw. And I came home and I realized that, that my conception of what's going on in the world had just changed. And I knew that there was something in my core that had been touched and would never be the same again. And when I was over there visiting these projects, it just hit me so hard when I saw the children suffering. And so 
I decided that I had to do something about that. Now, I had oh, wait, just wait. been through Before it. You, wait, 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 let me interrupt you. Oh, <laughs> Excuse sure, me, sure. but um, I want to go back first. Um, so where had you grown up and been and done radio and television? Where had you been so far before you went overseas? I was living in Atlanta for about 30 years, and in Atlanta, uh, the number, I think, 10 or 11 media market in the nation, uh, that's where I started in radio, and uh, after I'd spent about uh, 18 years there, I moved to Colorado and spent a few years in Colorado in uh, radio and television as well. Uh huh. And then, where did you go when you went overseas with this nonprofit? I, I went to the first. My first trip was to uh, Lima, Peru, and uh, Lima, Peru is uh, not exactly a third world country, but but it's got some challenges. And uh, the people there, I found, were very hard workers. They didn't mind working at all. It's just that there was not enough to go around. So a lot of people were uh, doing things like buying boxes of of chewing gum and and going to the the intersections and selling it from car to car, but one stick at a gum at a time, whatever it took. They might be be selling uh, bags of popcorn or they might be selling uh, something that like plastic containers for food storage, just whatever they could find to sell, they were willing to do it. I saw very few beggars, saw very few people that were uh, not willing to do something in, in, as an entrepreneur, but uh, most of the people that I saw that were suffering were willing to do something about it. I also found that there were a lot of children that were abandoned by their parents, and I was shocked at that. Mm. Uh, parents mm. that could no longer care for them or, or, or for whatever reason abandoned their children, and, and that was quite a shock, Doctor. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I've been to Lima. Um, uh, actually, I went to a, um, a ranchito, <laughs> a farm house, essentially, um, near there in Iquitos. Um, or actually, 45 minutes from Iquitos um, on the river. But, yes, so I know what you're talking about. Um, but before we get further into, you know, your deciding to found this, um, your own organization, Well, I mean, kind of that's where I am. So what made you decide? Well, I guess, first of all, what made you leave the entertainment industry to go to uh, work at this nonprofit to begin with? Well, I worked with them because I uh, had a lull in my contracts with the voiceovers, and this was an opportunity that I felt would be uh, a lot of fun and and very exciting, very challenging, and they wanted me to help them in their media, so... I kind of oh, added uh, all my careers together and my interests together, and uh, I went to work for them and uh, worked for them just for a few years. But what, I had gone through a divorce before that. A 20-year marriage had ended, and I had five children. And I was mm. broken over the loss of my children. I felt that uh, it felt like my children had died in a car wreck or something because they were just not around anymore, and the, the loss was very painful to me. So when I went mm. overseas, I, be, I, I began to meet these children who were in need, 
And I found that I was drawn towards the orphan, the ones who had lost their parents. And it kind of felt like my own children had lost their father and because uh-huh. I was no longer part of the home now. So it just, it just touched me so greatly. And I began to think about these children, these orphan children who, for instance, when they had a nightmare at night and into the human brain, the nightmares are just as real as real. Our brain can't tell the difference between a nightmare mm-hmm. and reality. And so a child wakes up in the middle of the night scared to death because of a nightmare. But when they're an orphan, there is no one to call, no one to cry mm-hmm. out for, and no one to hold them and stroke their forehead and, and help them to go back to sleep and tell them that everything's going to be okay. And that touched me because I realized that I was the one that would always jump up in the middle of the night when my children had a nightmare. And now that I had been through a divorce, that person was no longer there to help my children. So I identified with the orphans as as children who were experiencing some similarities to what my children experienced, and that touched me. And I began to do more research and found out that 70% of them said that, uh, that well, the orphan caregivers, the ones who took care of the orphans, said, 70% of them said that their number one problem was the lack of food. Uh, not hmm. the lack of not the lack of shoes or the lack of uh, backpacks or beanie babies, but the lack of hmm. food, and it's something that they needed on a daily basis. And also, it's what helped keep them healthy. It's what helped them to study in school. Uh, if a child is hungry and starving, they're not going to be able to study in school. So there was a mm-hmm. lot of good reasons why food is the number one priority. And I thought about that, and I realized that I live in America, and I have a refrigerator and a pantry full of food. I've got uh, fast food restaurants all around me. I've got grocery stores. And this, these are things that they don't have. And I realized that if I was to just, oh, just for instance, if I, when I went out to lunch and got me a hamburger and a French fry, if I bought me a small French fry and a small soda instead of a large one, I'd have enough money to feed an orphan that day. Just something that uh-huh. simple. And I realized that that's all it took was just for me to make a decision that I was going to help somebody else because it wasn't going to hurt me to get a smaller French fry or a smaller soda. It wasn't going to hurt me at all, but it was going to save it someone's would help you. life. It would be healthier. <laughs> It, it might help me actually. It might help me with a lot of issues. It might help me with those with those issues of of being more healthy. So I just realized that that's that's possible, and and I realized that at the time there was no other organization out there who was focusing on feeding orphans, where that was their primary mission. And so I decided at 55 years old that I would uh, start a, an organization. The name Food for Orphans came to mind. I did the research on it, found out no one had that name, and I did all the paperwork, and we were uh, granted a, a, we incorporated in Colorado. The, uh, the uh, IRS certified us as a 501c3 nonprofit uh, agency, and so we are now a nonprofit, have been, uh, we've been around for, since 2007. 
And that's when we incorporated, and we, we became a nonprofit then. And since then, Dr. Carroll, we've provided over 8 million meals to orphans around the world in 16 different countries. Well, that's amazing. So um, can I ask you, I don't know if you want to give the name of the nonprofit that you had joined, but what, what did they, if they weren't giving food for orphans, what were they doing? They were more holistic. They were taking care of uh, not only orphans, but also impoverished children. And they were not only taking care of food, but they were also doing other things like providing books for school, uh, doing uh, 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 tutoring programs, doing health, uh, health uh, checks, and sending over uh, doctors and nurses to do health checks on them and to, and to treat them and to, and doing all kinds of holistic things for the child where what I wanted to do was to focus on providing food to orphans. So since then, I have partnered with that organization in many countries around the world because I knew I could trust them, and I knew that they would uh-huh. make sure that there was not any kind of... Uh, uh, false uh, projects going on. No one's, no one's skimming off the top and stealing money. Mm-hmm. And I knew that they would take care of that that kind of an issue. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um. Well, we're going to need to take a break in a minute. Um. So when we come back, what I what I'm one of the things I'm interested in, um, is how you particularly found orphans to um to focus on to and to donate food to um, as compared to just all the different little children running around in these countries. But we'll talk about when they, when we come that when we come back. I also think it's fascinating how you um, put it together that uh, in fact, I mean that these children were um, filling a need in a sense for you. You were filling their need with food and so on, sustenance, nurturance. And they were filling a need of yours as well to um, to have children to provide these kinds of things too. Absolutely. I'd love to talk about it. Okay. So stay tuned. My guest is Gary Van Dyke. His organization is Food for Orphans. We're going to, um, <laughs> this is not the end of the story. We're going to go through uh, more of Gary Van Dyke's challenges Uh, When we come back, you're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the Terrorism Hotline. 
And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today. So contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Today we're doing a show of good news, an antidote to hate, and some of the bad news headlines that we are being bombarded with these days. My guest is Gary Van Dyke. Um, He has this amazing story, and um, I hope that you are thinking about how perhaps this is something that you, you know, if he could do this, you could perhaps do it, and you haven't heard anything yet. Um, so I was, I was starting to ask you about, um, well, first of all, I was going to ask you about how you found the orphans, but, but I'm still, I'm actually, before that, um, I'm interested in, you know, being in the entertainment industry. I mean, I obviously do radio and I do television and it's kind of, it's, it's in your blood. I mean, it's in, if someone is doing that and doing a good job, it is in their blood. And so I would think that that is, I mean, why I called it a sacrifice, you know? I would think that that, giving that up to do something else that perhaps isn't as glamorous, um, at least at the offset, would be somewhat of a, I don't know, a transition, let's say. How did you make that transition? Well, Dr. Carroll, it's, uh, I agree with you that when you have a certain career that you really enjoy, like I did radio and television, uh, it is very difficult to walk away from that. But then when you touch your own heart and you're able to do something that is so meaningful to you and to other people in the world, there's a real challenge uh, to to uh, to leave maybe one career and start a new one. Now, I had been in radio and television for many years, about 25 years, and so I I was... I had experienced all I wanted to experience, actually, and uh-huh. was ready for a new challenge. And when I when I realized that these orphans were dying, uh, for instance, I, I, 60 million orphans will go to bed hungry every single night. 60 million mm-hmm. of them. And every two seconds, another child becomes an orphan. Now, mm-hmm. I found out that Every 90 seconds, an orphan starves to death. And I I said to myself that I could not stand by and do nothing while orphans were starving to death. Not just dying, but literally starving to death. I I said, I can't can't just continue on 
in radio and television and uh, and just ignore that. I can't turn my back on it. Yes. These children are crying yes. out. They're needing help. I, I have ways to help them. I could use my career in radio and television to benefit these children. And so why not, why not do something good for them? And in the meantime, I would feel good about it. And as it turned out, that's exactly what happened. I'm not a rich man. I started Food for Orphans by putting five hundred dollars into the into a, a bank account and uh, and saying this is where I'm starting, and depending huh. on other people to help us out, other people to donate their funds uh, and help us to feed these orphans, and that's what it's been like for the past well for since 2007. So if it wasn't for for uh, donors. Uh, we would not be able to feed orphans, and I, I, I just felt that I could, I could feed orphans and be happy and fulfilled, and knowing that I could go to bed every night, knowing that there are orphans around the world who are not dying, who are not sick because of my efforts, and that made me sleep really, really good. Uh huh. Uh huh. That there was something a little more. Um more fulfilling on a deeper level than um, just than doing the normal kinds of things that we might do in radio and television. Well, now, so, okay, so you founded it in 2007, and then you started at some point to have some health uh, challenges. When was that? Uh, well, yeah, the health challenges started about six months after I started Food for Orphans. Um, my wife and I uh, went together to her doctor's appointment, and the doctor said, uh, we've discovered a lump in your breast, talking to my wife, and uh, is it, they, they did a biopsy, and as it turned out, my wife had breast cancer. And this was six months after we started Food for Orphans, and so I was deeply into the challenges of starting a business, a nonprofit, uh, an international business, an international nonprofit, uh, helping children overseas, and now my wife is going to have surgery, and she's got to have chemo, and she's got to have radiation. And now, at the same time, my wife was also working for this other nonprofit, and uh, she was traveling around the world, and so. Uh, she was faced with these challenges. Unfortunately, my wife never stopped traveling. She would do her chemo treatments and then go down and get on an airplane and fly to Africa and spend a couple of weeks there and come back and do another chemo treatment and fly off to Southeast wow. Asia. So she was uh, she was a bulldog. I tell you what, doctor, she was she was terrific and. Uh, we, we, we went through all that and, uh, I continued working at Food for Orphans and she continued to do her job and doing her medical treatments and things like that. And then about, uh, five months after she was diagnosed with cancer, I went to my doctor and my doctor said, uh, I've got some bad news for you. He said, you've got, um, a prostate cancer. And so I was then diagnosed with cancer and having to go through what I went through, surgery and everything, during the same time that my wife was going through it. And uh, it was life-altering, and it was, uh, of course, it 
it did take a, a lot of a lot out of me as far as energy and things like that. But I continued about four days after surgery. I was back on the job and uh, mm-hmm. uh, working as hard as I could to continue to grow food for orphans and 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 finding people to uh, work with us and to help us to donate funds to uh, to feed these orphans. And then about four months later. Uh, I had gone to my dermatologist because my surgeon said, you need to have everything checked out. You need to make sure that everything huh. else is okay. And when I went hmm. to my dermatologist, he gave me a clean bill of health. He says, everything's fine except that one spot on your arm. And huh. uh, he said, we need to do a biopsy of that. He did the biopsy. They did the, uh, he came back and said, well, uh, it's cancer. And uh, we're going to schedule you for surgery. So I had uh, scheduled surgery, and they found out during surgery that it was a melanoma, which is the deadly kind of skin cancer uh, Uh rather than the carcinoma. And uh, they ended up taking uh, a huge amount of my left arm and uh, mm. cutting all the way down to the bone and uh, taking out a bunch of uh, flesh. And and I have now a really gnarly scar about 12 inches long on my left arm where they had to take mm. out a whole bunch of uh, flesh. But they did get all the cancer out. And thank God I am cancer-free today. Thank God my wife is cancer-free today. Oh, and wow. so... The thing is that uh, you you alluded to it earlier where when you're faced with challenges, it doesn't mean that you have to stop. It just means that the mountain is a little bit bigger than you thought. The mountain may be a little tougher to climb, but there are things that we can do to continue climbing, to continue either postpone it. A lot of the things that I was doing, I had to postpone. I I couldn't travel as much as I did before, so I had to postpone some of that. Uh, But I was still able to work on food for orphans and to help it grow, and we've been growing, and we've been doing very well. And uh, I'm 67 years old now and cancer-free and quite happy. Uh, the, one of my other challenges is that, um, about five years ago, uh, I was diagnosed with Parkinson's disease and, uh, I've, (laughs) you don't die from Parkinson's disease, but it sure makes you some days feel like you wish you had, Uh, Uh it, it, it depletes my energy quite a bit. And makes uh, makes some cha- life some of life ch- uh, challenging, and uh, it's taken a lot of my energy, and it's just one of those things that on a daily basis I have to fight, and uh, and but it just is a reminder to me and an example to my children and the people that know me that 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 things are going to be tough sometimes. Uh, it doesn't mean that you give up. It just means you figure out how to get around the, the hard stuff. You know, if there's a pothole in the road, you can either go through it or go around it, but you don't have to just stop and, and quit. And uh-huh. uh, that's what my wife and I decided. We, we're just going to keep on going and keep on doing what we've got to do. And hopefully uh, we can support each other and uh, and fight these diseases and, you know, I didn't expect to be sick like this, doctor. 
I didn't expect to have well, all these things well, happen. Yeah, My family I, I was wasn't gonna, like this. Uh huh. Well, I, I was gonna. I, I want to ask you about that. Like here, you had just started. You gave up this entertainment industry career with 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 all good intentions. You know, it was really in your heart, and you started working at it and um, devoting yourself to it and all that. So when you when you and your wife got these health problems, um, did you? How did you? How did you reconcile that? I mean, how did you, um, like, did, you must have thought to yourself, here I am doing all this good for the world, I'm working my tush off, and um, how is it that at this time, you know, that, that why am I being slowed down, uh, and why do I have these other mountains to climb when I was doing all this good stuff? Why is this getting in my way? You know, I've never, I've never really... Uh thought that I deserved a problem-free life, and so I guess it just never, um, it never came up as far as a question about why did this happen to me. I've never asked that. I, I look around the world, and especially maybe because I've been overseas, and I've been taking care of these orphans and finding their problems, and, and, and doctor, I, I've got children that we're taking care of that are, are orphaned. Um, uh, there's like like a Chico. Chico is uh, he's 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 nine years old, and he's he's the oldest of five children. And his uh, father was the first to pass away. The family sold their goats to pay his hospital bills, and this left the family with nearly nothing. Six months later, his mother started suffering from the same symptoms. Three months after that, Chico and his siblings were left alone to look after themselves, and Chico, at nine years old, was the oldest. Now, when we talk about orphans overseas, doctor, we don't have the foster care system in a third world country that we have in the U.S. When a child mm-hmm. is orphaned in, in, these, in these third world countries, these emerging countries, they the government doesn't step in and come and get them like they do here and take them down and find someone to take care of them. These children are left alone. They're left to live on the streets. They're left to live uh, in the woods. And uh, and Chico's uh, uh, situation, he was nine years old. He had four brothers and sisters. It was up to him to see to it that they all got fed. And that's hard enough for a grown man and a grown woman to do, much less a nine-year-old boy. Uh, but fortunately, the, the orphanage that we supported in that community uh, found Chico and was able to bring them in and was able to take care of them, and, and we were able to help provide the food for, for Chico and his brothers and sisters. But at nine years old, that's what we found overseas. So when I, when I think about my problems, doctor, I don't have real big problems. When you compare that to a, to a nine-year-old who is charged with the responsibility of taking care of his brothers and sisters. And those are just, that's just one story of, of these children that, that, that I've met uh, around the world who are facing much bigger problems than I've ever faced. They're facing problems of pain and suffering on a daily basis. And the difference is, you know, I have a, a doctor, and I have a hospital, and I have medical insurance. I knew that there would be, uh, there's light at the end of the tunnel. 
these children uh-huh. that are orphaned overseas, they see these problems in their life, and they don't know when their next meal is coming. They don't know when they're going to be able to eat again. And that just adds a level of pain and suffering when they, when they don't have food today and they don't know if they're going to have food tomorrow. You know, I've had a lot of days where the doctor said, I want you to fast tonight because we're, tomorrow morning we're going to do a test. Well, I could fast and not eat anything for 12 hours because I knew I still had a refrigerator full of food. I still had a couple of bucks in my pocket and there was fast food restaurants down the street. I knew that I was going to eat the next day after the doctor did this testing. Fasting for me is, is hard to do, uh, but I realized that I would not suffer very long. The orphans that we serve, doctor, don't know when their next meal is coming. And there's a big difference mm-hmm. in, in knowing when your food, where your food is next time and knowing and not knowing if you'll ever eat again. Yes, yes. Um, is that how I, I started to ask you before about how you find the orphans? Do you go, I mean, first of all, like how do you pick the countries that you go to and you um, contact, do you find the orphanages and that's how you find the orphans, like in, with Chico or, or what? What I found, what I have found is that it works very well for us to work with other nonprofit organizations who have already done the due diligence, who have mm-hmm. a vested interest in making sure that there's no shenanigans going on. There's no one stealing money. The money that is donated is going for exactly the purposes that it's intended. And so I work with, uh, I work with missionaries who are overseas who are who are living right in the community and they can find out exactly what's going on and they can oversee uh, the projects and make sure that the children are being taken care of properly to make sure the money is being spent for what it's supposed to be. Uh-huh. I work with uh-huh. other nonprofit organizations as well. They do, they do the same thing. They have a vested interest and they make sure that there's no shenanigans with the money, make uh-huh. sure that these children are taken care of properly. Mm-hmm. All right, well, let's um, take a break now, and we will come back, um, and maybe we can talk about some of these interesting stories in all of these different places. Um, my guest is Gary Van Dyke. He is the founder and CEO of Food for Orphans, a um, very inspirational story, I might add. So stay tuned. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787, Hello? and ask our all-star team to answer your questions. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. 
www.drcarol.com. Tune into the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch, where today we're talking about a good news story with my guest, Gary Van Dyke. He is the CEO and founder of Food for Orphans, and we will tell you before the end of the show how you can help, Um, and uh, presumably you have already been, as I have been, inspired by Gary, um, who uh, has done done and keeps doing uh, a lot because of having been touched by all of these starving orphans. So tell us about some of these cases. First of all, how... I mean, I know you were traveling in various countries for the nonprofit that you had belonged to and was working with before, but when it came to um, picking the first place that you would go to for your organization, Food for Orphans, how did you pick where to go? Well, I decided uh, that I would work with uh, this other nonprofit and partner with them because they had been helping uh, orphans and impoverished children already. That was their mission. And so I went to their president and I said, I want to, I want to work with you and I want to help support those projects that are orphan, orphanages. And I had already visited many of them. Uh, so in about uh, eight different countries. So I already had a list of orphanages that I could support and know that we were taking care of orphans and, and providing for them. And so by doing that, I was able to, spend more of my money on food, more of the donor's money, I should say, on food, and less of it on oversight, on making sure that, you know, like visiting the projects and things like that, because this other organization was already doing that. They were already visiting the projects. They were already doing uh, project audits and things like that to make sure that things were being, being taken care of properly. So I had this in, I had this huge list of orphanages where I knew the leaders, I knew the children, and I also knew the, 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 the folks that were overseeing all of it to making sure it was, it was done properly and done right. You know, I have a real responsibility in that not only do I have the responsibility of taking care of the, the, the funds that donors uh, entrust us with making sure that that goes to give orphans food. But I'm a donor as well to Food for Orphans, and I've been that way since 2007. And I want to make sure that my money is being spent yeah. properly. Yeah. So, yeah. I want, so, I, so that's what I do. I make sure that it's done well and done right. Okay, so tell us some of the stories. Well, we. I was thinking about uh, in in Africa, in Central African Republic. We've got a 
a young boy that was abandoned soon after his birth. Uh, the mother uh, decided that uh, she could not keep him, and she did not know what to do. And uh, she had carried him all the way to birth. But she ended up putting this newborn boy in a plastic bag. Uh, the placenta was still attached to the boy. And uh, she took him out into uh, the jungle and uh, left that plastic bag out there uh, and just walked away. And she just felt like that was her only solution. Fortunately, wow. a man who had been hunting... He was walking through, and he saw some wild dogs that were tearing at a piece of plastic, and uh, he, he chased the dogs away, and he went over there, and that was the plastic bag that that little baby was wow. in, and he was able huh. to get that baby and take it to the hospital. It had been chewed up, and it, it stayed wow, in the wow. hospital for three months, but uh, huh. that young boy's life was saved, and he was taken to an orphanage. And right now they're taking care of him and they're making sure that that uh, he gets fed every day and his life is, is, is much better than what it was going to be. But those are those instances where, you know, those are the bad things. Like uh, we had a, uh, a child that uh, was abused by his mother because his father had left the family and the mother was angry about that. And uh, his little name was Tio, and Tio was uh, five months old, and his mother didn't know what to do with him. And she ended up taking him out into uh, to the banks of the river where the crocodiles were, and she left this five-month-old baby right there next to the river and walked away because she felt mm -hmm. like that was all that she could do. Uh, fortunately, someone found Tio before the crocodiles did, they took him to an orphanage, and they are raising him there, and he's doing well. He's a very brilliant child. He's very clever and very respectful. We've got no idea why his mother abandoned him, but uh, we can look and see where, uh, where good things are happening because somebody is out there caring for children. You know, that's one of the things that I'm impressed with. Uh, I'm impressed with these caregivers the orphan caregivers, and every one of them that I've known, they're not professionals. They're just uh, a mom and a dad who've got a couple of kids, and uh, their neighbors, uh, they find out that their neighbors have died, and something happened to the mother and father, and there's a two or three kids next door. Well, they can't just leave those kids out there, and like I said before, the government doesn't come in and take care of these kids, so uh -huh. the neighbors do. And so they bring the children into their home, and now they've got their three kids plus these two other ones. Now they've got five kids, and then somebody else down the street passes away, and the neighbors say, well, uh, take them over to that house. They, they took those other kids. Uh -huh. So now they've got like eight or nine children. Now they've got a real orphanage. And this is where all of the orphanages that we support, this is how they started. And now I've got, for instance, in, uh, in, uh, in Western Africa, uh, we've got a, a project where they've got over 100 children there, and it's, it's just in their home. They've had to add on and add on and add on, and we're not talking about a big house. We're just talking about barely enough room for them to sleep. They've got about 100 children. 
And so that's, I'm impressed with these people. I'm impressed because they make real sacrifices. They have to quit their own jobs and quit their own careers and stay with these children and stay home and take care of them. We've got a project in, uh, in Kenya, Africa, that is uh, nothing but newborn babies. Uh, where somebody said, well, I can't, I can't, can't just leave these, you know, you just can't let them die. So they have to, they brought them to their home and now they've got 25 or 30 brand new babies. And this is their mission. This is what they're doing. And these are the kinds of folks that, that I'm impressed with that, that I say, look, I want to come by, I want to come alongside you and I want to help you. I want to. I want to at least provide the, the, you know, food for you, or, or we'll either we'll either go out and buy the food and bring it to them, or we'll provide them the money where they can they can buy the food, and and because they don't have refrigeration, um, they, uh-huh. they, you know, they can't they can't buy food in bulk and store it like that. They have to go out and buy it all the time. Every every other day, they're probably at the market buying fresh food. And, you know, there's a lot of work that these people do and a lot more work than I do. And I am just so impressed with how these caregivers have sacrificed their life and are willing to do whatever it takes to help these children. So now let's talk about what the listeners can do. Um I know you talk about how 37 cents a day, and I guess that that's the difference between a big soda and a little soda and a big fries and a little fries like you were talking about earlier. Yeah, 37 cents is we can provide a meal to an orphan for 37 cents. So, uh, we, for instance, if, if a person really wants to help, we've got a website called foodfororphans.org. And the four is F-O-R. So foodfororphans.org. You can go to our website. You can make a donation. Uh, every 37 cents will provide a meal. And if you wanted to make sure that there are children being fed on a regular basis, we've got a program called Three for 33. You can feed three orphans every single day for $33 a month. And that's just that's that's like getting a small fry every time you go out to the fast food place. That's that would take care of that. Uh, but three for thirty three, three feeding three orphans every single day uh, for thirty three dollars. That no, that means that every day you know that there are three orphans that are going to eat that day because of your gift and your sacrifice. And that makes sure that uh, these kids are getting a nutritious meal every single day. And in the meantime, we're also supporting those uh, those caregivers who have made the sacrifice to take care of these kids by kind of helping them out by providing that food for them, so that they don't have to, uh, you know, uh, sacrifice their own life anymore. Uh, just to go out and buy food for these kids because these children are still needing, you know, education. They still need school books. They still need uh, medical attention. They still need shoes. They still need beds. Uh, they still need someone to care for them. Some of these children are one and two years old, and so you have to have an adult there to care for them 24 hours a day. And so uh, there's a lot of sacrifice out there, and this the food is just one small part 
but it's an awfully big part. It's where, what will make the difference. Now, I've been, um, I was in Zimbabwe, and we were speaking, I was speaking to about 500 uh, orphans that were in the project there that we, that we, that we were feeding, and we were just starting. We had, we had just agreed to start them, feeding them, and so I was there talking to the leaders, and I was speaking to all 500 of these kids in a uh, out in the field somewhere that we had got them all together, and uh, I, I noticed that when I went over and, and talked to the kids and and kind of played with them and stuff like that, that they that I could feel that there were a lot of them that had fevers, that they were very very ill, and then a lot of the kids had the bloated belly. You could tell from the malnutrition. There, some of their hair, some of them they had. Uh, hair that was orange or golden because of the malnutrition, mm-hmm. the lack of mm-hmm. minerals in their body. And we were just, my wife and I were together, and we just looked at each other like, these kids are really sick. Their, their noses uh-huh. were runny. They were, they were just having a tough time. Well, we went back to that same project two years later after we had, been, after we had, they had been on our program for two years, getting food on a regular basis. And doctor, these kids were, uh, it was a night and day difference. The bloated bellies were huh. gone. The orange hair was gone. Uh, the sniffles were almost all gone. Of course, there's, there's always kids with sniffles, but the fevers, we weren't, we didn't, we didn't have the kids with the high temperatures. Uh, it's because they were getting good, nutritious food, and their own bodies were able to ward off disease uh-huh. and were able to fight off these infections and and uh-huh. to really uh, they were really able to conduct their life the way they were supposed to. The body is supposed to. The body is supposed to fight these things, and because of the food, we were able to do that. And this is how your list, This is how the listeners can help us to go to food for orphans and make that make that gift, make that financial gift. Do it on a regular basis. Do a recurring gift, and make sure that these kids get food every single day. And I promise you that. There's no disease out there that's going to stop me doing what I'm doing, and uh, I'm, I'm going to keep fighting this and keep working hard to make sure that these orphans are taken care of. Well, thank you so much, Gary. This was uh, such a, an inspirational story. Um, it's Gary Van Dyke. Uh, the name of the organization and the website, again, is foodfororphans.org, and why don't you go check that out. And Thank you so much. And I, I hope uh, that you are able to uh, uh, feed many, many, many orphans for many years to come. And thank you all for listening. You've been listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Thank you for joining us on Dr. Carol's Couch. Join us next week at 1 p.m. Pacific time for another installment of Dr. Carol's Couch. We'll save you a seat. 